in the context of the new and improved, within quotes, this new world that we're living in, this new normal that we're getting accustomed to, and um, in the context of talking about everything that's been unfolding ever since the pandemic became a reality, and you realize that we're basically coming up to almost a year since all of this madness began, since they, since we got put on, on, on lockdown, and ever since then has been this roller coaster ride, just up and down and all over the place, with so much different information being put out there through the through the media, by government outlets, by the so-called experts in the medical field, and look. Not everyone is a nefarious character in all of this. You know, I think it's, it's easy for us to get distracted with um, so much um, information out there and, 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 and different opinions that people give based on emotion or based on new evidence. Because, hey, all of us want a solution, right? All of us want a way out of this. And that's fine. No more restrictions. No more staying at home orders. No more having to having to do school from home. And 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 no more uh, restrictions that are causing businesses to bleed and close down, affecting individuals and their families, households. Where do we go from here? What is the next step? And just as importantly, or even more importantly than those questions is, who am I in the middle of all of this? Who am I? And that's the, that's the central question with which I started this whole podcast. The first episode was about who we are. And now more than ever, the answer to that question is more important because who I am, knowing who I am will determine what I'm going to do, what I'm going to say in the midst of a society, in the midst of a world that is becoming more and more intolerant and is falling deeper and deeper into darkness. It can be easy enough to follow the crowd it can be easy enough to, to just wait things out and let somebody else do the talking. But the problem is, is that at one point or another, all of this tyranny, all of the loss of liberty that we're seeing in our world right now, at one point or another, it's going to hit us closer to home. And when it does, who are you going to be in that moment? And history is the best teacher in terms of what we do when tyranny, when the threat of tyranny becomes more real every day. Because tyranny is consistent throughout history, as is those who have the courage to stand up against tyranny and stand up 
for liberty, for truth. First, they came for the socialists, and I didn't speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. You may be familiar with this well-known quote of history. And regardless of the context of when this was written, this can be applied to any time in history. Because this isn't the only time that men have oppressed men. That liberty has been threatened. That authoritarianism hasn't threatened society. It's happened again and again throughout history. And the point of this particular quote is not just to have the courage to speak out, but it also challenges us to be able to understand what it means to be able to live out the axiom that says love thy neighbor. Because we all live next to people who believe different things. They may be Christian or non-Christian. They may be Buddhist. They may be New Agers. They may be Democrats or Republicans or Independents or Libertarians. They can be atheists. They can believe in evolution. They can believe in intelligent design and creation. Oh, yeah. Didn't you know? You can have all those types of people living in your neighborhood right now. And look, I don't agree with, with socialism. I don't agree with Marxism. I don't agree with authoritarianism. I don't agree with atheism. But what I do agree with and what I do stand for is everyone's right to speak those ideologies out in a way that is decent, in a way that allows for the freedom to exchange ideas without the threat of anyone being censored, without the threat of anyone feeling like they can't, they can't live in a safe place just like you do. When one ideology or one way of belief tries to censor or ban someone else because they don't agree with them. And I don't care if you're on the right or the left. If you use that influence or power that you may have in your circle of influence, whether it's online, social media, someone's business, someone's home, it doesn't matter. When you threaten someone else's freedom to coexist with other people in society because they, deliver, because they believe different than you do, then you're the person who's in the wrong. Truth is not on the side of those who trample on liberty. 
Never. Because the principle of truth allows for everyone to have a voice. And what about those who speak hate speech? Well, what is hate speech? No. No, I don't believe in racism. And no, I don't believe uh, in, in, in discriminating others because of their sexual orientation or because of the lifestyle they choose. I may not agree with it, just like others may not agree with me on what I believe. But that's the point of America. That all of us can live in peaceful coexistence with one another and mutual respect and decency, as Abraham Lincoln put it, with malice toward none and charity for all. Even if you believe that your side is righteous, you haven't been called to trample on other people's freedom because that's not what truth does. Truth allows and truth abides in the value of the individual. That's the point of the principle of liberty. Liberty of conscience says, I don't agree with you, but I value your right to speak what you believe. And we can sit here and talk about what the source is of all of this animosity. There, there are various things we can look, look to in terms of what, what has caused all this. But I can tell you that one of the things that has helped to become a magnifying glass to this animosity and division is social media platforms. You know it and I know it. Because see, all of us, including myself, become a little bit more empowered when we're sitting behind a screen that doesn't allow us to see the other person. It's easier to demean. It's easier to be passive-aggressive and to be condescending to other people when you're not when you're not able to look at them straight in the eye because you're basically speaking through an avatar a digital self a digital copy of who you think you are and that social media has now allowed you to be online and look there are righteous causes. And when it comes to standing for the truth, that means having to debate other people. That means having the courage to speak up and speak out, but not to violate someone else's liberty of conscience and freedom to express his or her conscience. Because then you're not speaking up for truth. In the end, truth will be the arbiter of what is right and wrong. Because eventually, just like with the quote by Martin Niemuller, 
they'll come for the socialists. And because you're not a socialist, you're like, well, they kind of deserved it because I don't agree with socialism and socialism is dangerous. But then they came for the trade unionists. Well, maybe I don't agree with the labor unions and I don't agree with the corruption that I see there. So maybe they deserve it. And then they came for the Jews. Well, hold on a second. We all know that anti-Semitism is ugly. So maybe we'll speak up then. But just like in history, when nobody spoke up because of fear, or maybe because they agreed with what was happening, it's always going to come back to you and to me. They'll come for you and for me. And then what? They'll, we'll want to be able to speak out. We'll want to be able to be heard and say, hey, we're innocent here. You have no right to do this. Well, as difficult as it might be, though we must always search out for truth and speak up for the truth, again, we must never do it at the expense of someone else's liberty. Even if you think they're wrong. Because there is such a concept as live and let live. And live and let live isn't what you think it might be. Live and let live doesn't mean to be indifferent. It doesn't mean to sit in your house and not get involved in your community, not speak out and be silent and be lazy. That's not what live and let live means. It means that I can go to my local church. I can I can go and vote. I can go and speak out uh, at my local government's uh, uh, open sessions and and I can go to my school board meetings and be able to speak my mind without the fear of being imprisoned or or uh, somehow censored or 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 be threatened in terms of not being able to speak my mind we should be able to go do that and then hear someone else's point of view and say, you know what? I don't agree, but be able to go home, let that person live in liberty and you live in liberty as well. That's what it means to live in a free country that respects all, that loves his or her neighbor, despite the differences that they have, this and only this, and especially the respect of having, of, of, of giving other people the ability to, to, to have an open forum where they can speak their minds and even question with boldness. It's when we respect this that we will find the unity that we say we need to find. Who are you and who am I? That's how this whole podcast started. Go back to episode one and listen. Who am I? Who are you? And who are you going to be in the days ahead? That matters in the search for truth.
It's a tale of two Americas. And, and, and what I mean by that is you have to look at the foundation of a thing to be able to understand the meaning of that thing and be able to know where that thing is going. Without that foundation, we have nothing. And the tale of two Americas, we find one that is founded in principle, so it's immovable, solid as a rock. And the other, we find an America that is not rooted in anything except presumption. One of the most powerful and I think the most important speeches ever given by any president or presidential candidate is the speech that was given by John F. Kennedy in the 1960 election when he came to speak in front of the Greater Houston Ministerial Association, which was uh, a group of Protestant ministers. And the subject of his speech had to do with the freedom of religion. It is absolutely one of the most important speeches given in our history and especially in the modern age. It's because what JFK said at this event that I believe got him elected. Unfortunately, it's not the same in the 21st century. And here's what's curious about this, and and I'm going to sort of set it up here for you. JFK, the concern with JFK back in the 1960s was that he was going to be the first Catholic elected to office. And why that is so important and vital to understand is because as we've talked about in this podcast over the last few episodes, and again, I invite you to go back and listen to the episodes on the Great Reset and what that means for us in our time, because we took some time to go back into history and ask, what, what is so significant and why is it such a threat for us to allow or, or, for us, or, 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 for, or, or, or for us to allow ourselves to be duped into accepting this new system of global governance? Because that's what the, Greece, the Great Reset is. It's not just a reset of capitalism, but it's completely taking the foundation of liberty as we believe is given to us by a creator because all men are created equal and that is what gives us the standard to be able to give everyone the value that they have simply by the nature of their existence and that they were created to exist that no one can violate that It doesn't matter who you are, what party you represent, and especially, and especially if you come saying that you're doing whatever it is you're doing for the common good of the collective. These things in history, because see, the principles of the Great Reset have happened before. And what, what, what many are missing about the Great Reset is that it is taking both power of the state and the power of the church 
and unifying them together for the greater common good. And when you do that, the result is always authoritarianism and tyranny. Plain and simple. History is the evidence of this. And now we have the second Catholic president who is now in the White House, Joe Biden. And this is significant because look at how much time has passed since JFK to Joe Biden. And again, what is the significance of the fact that uh, that Joe Biden is now the second Catholic to hold office and the difference between this president and that of JFK and who he became. Now, regardless of what you may uh, of what your political affiliation might be, Republican Democrat, this that's not the question here. I don't care whether you liked him or not. And yes, there were he certainly lived a life that was morally questionable in many people's eyes, but that's not what I'm here to discuss. We're here to discuss not politics but principles. What is it that helps us and guides us in deciding what truth is. So, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I wanted to share with you some of the most uh, uh, key elements, portions of of this speech that he gave. And many of you may know it and and remember it, especially if you lived in that time. And if you don't, uh, we'll have the full transcript of this speech up on today's episode where you can uh, go and read the whole thing for yourself. But this is what JFK says. Again, there was concerns and questions about him being Catholic. Why? Because Catholicism, in terms of not necessarily the religion, but the power structure throughout history, the church, had been a source for tyranny and trampling upon the liberty of conscience of others. Again, we've discussed this going as far back as the Middle Ages and the Great Reformation. In fact, the result of this tyranny of the church, of of both church and state joining together, right, for the good of society, is really what brought on the Great Reformation, because you weren't allowed to question. You weren't allowed to express any ideas except whatever the church said was truth, and that was it, period. So, that was the concern. Because, again, Protestants were the ones that were questioning uh, JFK's intentions because of his religion. So here's what he says. This is at the uh, towards the beginning of his speech. I believe in an America where the separation of church and state is absolute. You know, we could stop here and say, on that alone, you have my vote. And you may say, well, there are greater issues than just, you know, the First Amendment. There are greater issues than just the separation of church and state. Sure there are. But again, principles, not politics, because policy is one thing. Policy can be partisan, but not principles, because principles by their nature are unchangeable. So, again, going back into what uh, here in this portion of his speech, I believe in an America where the separation of church and state is absolute, where no Catholic prelate would tell the president, should he be Catholic, how to act, 
and no Protestant minister would tell his parishioners for whom to vote. Where no church or church school is granted any public funds or political preference, and where no man is denied public office merely because his religion differs from the president who might appoint him or the people who might elect him. I believe in an America that is officially neither Catholic, Protestant, or Jewish, where no public official either requests or accepts instructions on public policy from the Pope, the National Council of Churches, or any other ecclesiastical source, where no religious body seeks to impose its will directly or indirectly upon the general populace or the public acts of its officials, and where religious liberty is so indivisible that an act against one church is treated as an act against all. This is such an incredible, such an incredible declaration especially in our time. And I don't think I've ever heard a president say it better. And that's why his speech is so significant, not just for his time, but for our time. He goes on to say, For while this year, it may be a Catholic against whom the finger of suspicion is pointed, in other years it has been and may someday be again a Jew or a Quaker or a Unitarian or a Baptist, It was Virginia's harassment of Baptist preachers, for example, that helped lead to Jefferson's statute of religious freedom. Today, I may be the victim, but tomorrow it may be you. Until the whole fabric of our harmonious society is ripped at a time of great national peril. And are we not now in that time? This, what he describes this fabric of our harmonious society being ripped? Oh yeah, it's been ripped. And it's not, it's not because of the election. It's not because of all of this political theater that we're watching unfold. Forget all that. That stuff, you know what? That that doesn't matter to me. What matters are people who are supposed to be defenders of the Constitution that don't act as they are defending the Constitution. Words are powerful, but actions speak louder than words. And here's the thing. I don't think JFK had enough time to really embody these words fully, because unfortunately he was assassinated in the middle of his first term. I think he would have, if he would have been allowed to finish out his term, had a good possibility of having a second term. But whatever the case, that's not really what we're talking about. But again, I believe it was this speech that got him ultimately elected. Finally, he says, I believe in an America where religious intolerance will someday end, where all men and all churches are treated as as equal where every man has the same right to attend or not attend the church of his choice, where there is no Catholic vote, no anti-Catholic vote, no block voting of any kind, and where Catholics, Protestants, and Jews at both the lay and pastoral level will refrain from those attitudes of disdain and division which have so often marred their works in the past and promote instead the American ideal of brotherhood. Now, 
you, we can say, well, brotherhood, this whole idea of loving your neighbor is a Christian principle. Yes, it is. It is a Christian principle. But if someone is not Christian, he or she could still believe that love is the answer. And there is the start of a new conversation. If we're only open to have it. Remember, when we talk about Christianity, it isn't to the church that we go to. It isn't to the church organizational structure. It isn't to its leaders. We go to the source. Who was the man called Jesus? And we've talked about that. And why it is we believe in this principle of being created equal. Because it is the worldview that Jesus held and lived by that allowed for all men to be given the opportunity of redemption and ultimate salvation. It doesn't matter your color of skin. It doesn't matter your, 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 your politics. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. All that matters is who you are now and who you're, who you are willing to be. That is a tolerant and open worldview. It doesn't reject anyone. It says, you're welcome. It says you're valued. As an individual, regardless of how others may judge you. Life is rooted in that principle of the truth of your existence and mine. Because his ultimate goal was not to take over the power of the state. It wasn't to even free the Jewish people from the Roman oppressors. He came to free everyone of themselves. Because we ultimately become our own oppressors, even in our own lives. By how we treat others. By how we act day in and day out in our jobs, in our communities, in our churches, in our schools, with our children, with our neighbors. All of that determines who we ultimately are. And are we imperfect people? Yeah, we are. We are imperfect people. But we're imperfect people looking for a perfect truth that ultimately grants us redemption. He goes on to say, JFK, that is the kind of America in which I believe, and it represents the kind of presidency in which I believe, a great office that must neither be humbled by making it the instrument of any one religious group, nor tarnished by arbitrarily withholding its occupancy from the members of any one religious group. I believe in a president whose religious views are his own private affair, neither imposed by him upon the nation or imposed by the nation upon him as a condition to holding that office. There's more here I, I, I could read about and comment on, but just this last paragraph alone is is so powerful, especially in our time. Because this is what we expect in a nation 
that respects all because of the nature of their equality in being created equal. And no one, even if what you believe in is true, even if what you believe in is is rooted in this principle, if you use that as a means to further what you disdain from the other side, then you're no different from those who would take their influence and power to silence someone else. Because to silence someone else is the act of a coward. We believe in an open and free forum in which we can exchange ideas, debate them, disagree on them, because it is in this exchange of ideas that we grow and we learn from one another. And in the end, you have the choice of what you believe and how you live. As long as you don't violate somebody else. Only if we walk this road. It's only if we walk this road. The same road that Jesus walked, the same road that Martin Luther King walked, and very few have walked throughout history, Martin Luther himself in the Reformation. Not to use the truth to bash it over someone's head, but to use it to free others. Because in the end, truth is not rooted in politics. Truth is not rooted in religion. Truth is not rooted in social movements. Remember, it was also President Lincoln who said, it is not a question about God being on my side, but it is, rather, am I on God's side? Who are you and who am I? And what is to come? JFK is just one example. And history has shown us what happens when church and the power of the state come together for the common good. Well, now, this president and this new post-pandemic world proposes to do the same as history did. Will it end the same way it ended in the past? Or does it lead to the unity and the salvation of all, as they say it does? So the new slogan that's now being used in the post-pandemic era is Build Back Better. And you may have heard this phrase being tossed around, and not just by our uh, new uh, president, but by various world leaders globally. 
build back better. And uh, now, now this phrase is a is a curious phrase because this isn't the first time the phrase has been used. It actually has a history. So while it's picked up steam in the last couple of years, especially um, <clears throat> leading up to to our uh, recent election. Uh, and um, also amongst the leaders um, that have been putting forth the plans for the Great Reset, um, Build Back Better goes back as far as the tsunami that occurred in Japan uh, now about uh, 10 years ago, actually. Um, in fact, just recently you saw that there was another earthquake um, off the coast of Japan, and it was uh, 10 years ago that they had this major earthquake and that caused uh, quite a bit of damage and brought on this tsunami. And be- uh, and as a result, there was a call to build back better. And of course, the slogan uh, is, uh, is reasonable, especially after a, a, a huge catastrophe, a major disaster. And we've seen quite a few of these major disasters over the last 10 years. And so it would make sense that you would take old infrastructure and you would build new and better and stronger infrastructure so that we can try to uh, navigate and mitigate when new disasters occur and hopefully prevent uh, a, a, a large portion of the population to be affected either by an earthquake or by storm surge, etc., etc. But Build Back Better is, has now been assimilated, if you will, and now it's being used to further green new policies. So it has to do with the new crisis that is on the horizon, which is climate change. Now, climate change, of course, has been a major cause uh, of concern amongst activists as well as uh, global governments. And so now Build Back Better has everything to do with a resetting of global economics and adapting these global economics to fit the models of these green new policies that's not just uh, focused here in the United States, but is also being called for globally. And this isn't anything new. We've discussed this. This is one of the major issues that the Great Reset is set to tackle around all of the countries that are now taking on this model for a great reset and integrating it into its own government policies. But again, this is, this is meant to go beyond borders. It's meant to break down barriers. And while that sounds all good and nice, again, in the context of this major global reset. There are other things that come along with this uh, uh, climate change crisis and the way that they want to tackle it with this whole slogan of building back better that begins to violate and threaten liberty as we understand it 
that is founded in the principles that are unchangeable or supposed to be unchangeable. What's being labeled as now a new humanity. And this is coming down not just from leaders of the Great Reset from the World Economic Forum, like Klaus Schwab and others, but has come down also from the encyclicals, the the recent encyclicals that have been written by Pope Francis. And this has, again, been a subject of discussion for us on the last few episodes of Truth Reel. And so, again, this is where we have to begin to put things together, because one side is echoing the other. They're mirroring one another, and now they're working together. So now we see global leaders who represent various corporations and businesses around the world, and also political leaders of different countries around the world, including, by the way, the United Nations and the IMF. And now we see the Vatican as a player amongst this group that wants to see the world come back and build back better. And again, the slogan sounds great. It sounds wonderful. But at what cost? Again, you always have to ask, when you see people wanting to move fences or break down fences altogether, which again, on the surface, hey, sounds great. But you always have to ask, where are you moving the fences to? And why are you breaking down certain fences that have been there for a reason to protect against authoritarianism that has been seen in history? And again, interestingly enough, during the time of the Great Reformation, the issue was the power of the church, the Roman Catholic Church, the papal power, united with state power across the whole of Europe. And this is why you have these individuals who stand up in their own various countries in Europe against the papal power to question and ask why it is that we have to bow down to this power unequivocally and without question, or else we are imprisoned or we are killed. And is that now something that we are to expect to happen today? Because the Build Back Better slogan is no longer about reasonable uh, 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 movements and plans to build something stronger that before was weaker. That sounds great. Now it's about green policies. And that if businesses and corporations around the world... Don't begin to meet these standards that are being set by the World Economic Forum, by the United Nations, and then adopted by sovereign nations, that if we don't see businesses and corporations begin to adapt, and banks as well, to these new standards, then the threat comes to these corporations being fined or being threatened to be shut down. Because banks are now saying that, well, we're going to have to see how we're going to do business in the future. And that we're going to have to limit business to doing uh, deals 
with corporations, allow them to take out loans, right, and move capital only if these transactions, these financial deals are being made in a way to uphold these new green standards. And if you're going to violate that, then there's going to be problems in corporations and maybe even individuals doing banking in the future. How else do you reach what the goal of these green new policies is, which is net zero emissions? It means eliminating the carbon footprint altogether from every nation. It's the only way to solve the problem. But again, at what cost? Where are you moving the fences to? And yes, this is cause for concern. In the context of this great new reset that we've already been discussing. But when now we have to see where things are going and how they're progressing forward, because the episodes that we did on the Great Reset uh, were back in October, November, and here we are, four or five months later, we're now looking ahead beyond the pandemic, even though it's still a critical crisis that 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 we're dealing with and and there are new variants that are now causing problems we we don't know how this is going to end up but we do know that president biden and other world leaders are committed to this build back better scenario and why not hear it from the horse's mouth especially now in this time of coronavirus It's certainly a major crisis, but it also offers us a unique opportunity. Now is the time to make the changes we need to build a climate resilient world, to increase prosperity and improve public health, but also to build back better, fostering green and inclusive recovery. It's a very pertinent question to ask, how do we build back better? To build back better or whatever. Only ways to make us more resilient to crises like this one is to build back better. As we try to build back from this uh, global pandemic. Joe Biden calls it build back better. Build back better. Building back better. To build back better. We're going to build it back better. And build it back better. It's my plan to build back better. And start to, to build back in a positive way. Unprecedented opportunity to rethink and reset the ways in which we live. The great opportunity for reset. It's about building this country back better. Build back better. Building back better. Build back better. All elements of the great reset are fundamental to building the future we need. This pandemic has provided an opportunity for a reset. It's a big effort to, some would say, to build back better. We would say to really have a great reset. So there you have it. This has to do about the Great Reset. It has to do with the climate crisis. And that this must be confronted head on. It doesn't matter what the cost is. Now, going back from where we began the podcast today, the tale of two Americas. 
one president who came in as the first Catholic ever to hold office, who said that religion could not impose itself on others. The religion of the president could not be imposed on the nation. But now we have the second Catholic president, whose very mission of building back better is the very soul of the Catholic mission. And so let's look at a few stories here that will be up on today's episode that show us the different side to this second Catholic president. So RNS uh, News Service uh, came out with this article January 6th of 2021, and it begins this way. For some time now, we've heard talk about an American Catholic moment. As far back as 2012, David Gibson, director of the Center on Religion and Culture at Jesuit Fordham University and a former Religion News Service staffer, highlighted some astonishing facts about Catholics and public life. Six of nine Supreme Court justices, when Gibson wrote, were Catholic. The current and previous speakers of the House at the time were practicing Catholics, both vice presidential candidates going into the 2012 race, Joe Biden and Paul Ryan, were strong in their Catholic identity. For a country founded in the midst of a virulent anti-Catholicism and where Catholics imagined their own penitential outsider status, in Gibson's words, this was a jolting set of facts. Now, in a matter of days, that same Catholic Speaker of the House will look on as the Catholic former Vice President is inaugurated the second Catholic President of the United States. Depending on how one is scoring at home, Justice Neil Gorsuch's relationship with Catholicism is apparently complex. Seven Supreme Court Justices are or have been Catholic. Even more important than the high-profile leaders who identify as Catholic is how the ideological commitments of the church play out in the culture. And I'm not going to read the whole article, but uh, he goes on to um, to talk about uh, this this Catholic vision that uh, now can be played out in our culture. Indeed, this is now uh, him going on. Indeed, it is nothing more than what the Catholic Church's social and moral vision has been asking for. Support for unions, a living wage, and a right to health care. Skepticism of, of, of corporatism and unfettered capitalism while condemning socialism. Broad opposition to abortion and euthanasia while insisting on support for vulnerable women, the the elderly and the sick, ecological and racial justice, vouchers for religious schools, opposition to war and support for restorative justice, and deep commitment to extended families and local communities through a culture of encounter and hospitality. The power of Catholic moral theological vision can be substantial and nuanced. And he finishes the article with this stunning paragraph. This new movement will require an ideological foundation. If 2012 was the year Catholics had come to dominate the highest levels of U.S. public life, 2021 may be the year when the highest levels of public life finally made space for the fullness of a Catholic vision.
Now, I don't know what you think about just that, that, that final sentence, but that, that's, pretty, that's pretty daunting. Because when you put that against the speech given by JFK, the, it wasn't about a Catholic vision. It was about an American vision based on American principles that are universal. And while we can uh, trace back these principles to a Judeo-Christian worldview, it does not take these, these principles are not taken then to violate someone else's freedom to be able to believe and to be able to hold those beliefs without fear of being imprisoned, censored, or silenced. Because if we're going to think about a new 2021 public life vision as a, as a realized Catholic vision, then now you're talking about imposing religion on the nation through its Catholic leaders. But that's not the vision that the first Catholic president, JFK, had in mind. So, these are the two Americas we're looking at. And not just the two Americas, but the two different worldviews. One that says, you are free to believe, you are free to share your ideas and debate those ideas honestly and, and with decency with other people and coexist with your neighbors without fear of the government coercing you or imposing its will on you. Because see, today, there's another threat, and that threat we've talked about. That threat is against liberty of conscience, which is an undeniable, inalienable principle of our liberty. If you take that away then you violate the value of each human individual. And under the system of the Great Reset, underneath this whole build back better vision, which can be argued is is, is Catholic social doctrine being imposed through political forces, is now going to be imposed not just on our nation, but globally, and all for the common good. All of a sudden, those fences that are being moved don't look so good. And this is not about instilling fear. This is not about us all of a sudden being afraid and thinking that we have to somehow stand up and create a revolution. No, that's not the point of this. The point of this is having the courage to stand up and speak on behalf of these principles that are sacred and that protect us against. They're there for uh, these principles are there because they should protect us against any type of authoritarianism that is trying to be imposed by any government power, especially one that is foreign. Because now it's not just about 
a nation state. Now it's about globalism. Building back better is about destroying these principles and remaking them, reimagining them. That's the phrase they like to use, reimagining them for the greater common good and not for equality, but for equity. There's a difference between those two terms. Equality means that you and I are equal in value because we are created. We are intentionally created to be a unique and extraordinary human being that with his or her gifts and talents can and is able to contribute to their community and to the greater nation that they're a part of, but not because government says so, but because the individual can and is able to do it because of the liberty that is guaranteed, not created, but guaranteed by that government because of those principles that already exist. But now, if you're not going to be part of the system that is wanting to build the back better and to and to realize this new Catholic vision underneath this new Catholic president who's using his religion... Not just his faith. It's different to have faith, but his religion for the greater for the greater common good. What does that mean for you and for me? What are the implications of this new Catholic vision vision being realized in this new post-pandemic order? Here's another article in the Wall Street Journal uh, that came out on the fifth of February of 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 this year. And here's how it begins. President Joe Biden, the second Catholic in history to hold the office, has made religion a prominent element of his public role. He attended Mass on the morning of his inauguration, quoted the theologian and philosopher St. Augustine in his inaugural speech, and placed a photograph of Pope Francis, whom he has praised as a personal inspiration behind his desk in the Oval Office. Mr. Biden's approach is a far cry from that of the first Catholic president, John F. Kennedy, who sought to dispel prejudice against his faith by assuring an audience of Protestant ministers during the 1960 campaign, quote, I am not the Catholic candidate for president. I am the Democratic Party's candidate for president, who happens also to be Catholic. I do not speak for my church on public matters, and the church does not speak for me, unquote. Perhaps inevitably, the start of the Biden administration has kicked off a debate over how Catholic, uh, over how Catholic his, his policies actually are. Progressive Catholics see much of Mr. Biden's agenda in areas such as migration, race relations, economic inequality, and the environment as the church's social teaching in action. Quote, President Biden has a natural disposition to compassion, but Catholic social teaching in those areas, particularly with the poor and those who are victimized in various ways, provides a framework for that compassion, said Bishop Robert McElroy of San Diego, one of the leading liberals in the U.S. church. Now, what is social Catholic What is Catholic social teaching, the article goes on to ask, and why should it matter to the nearly 80% of Americans who do not belong to the church? 
a body of doctrine on law, politics, and economics developed by popes since the late 19th century. Catholic social teaching has historically been more influential in Europe and Latin America than in the U.S., but some on both sides of the aisle, not all of them Catholic, say its concepts are especially needed at this fractured moment in American politics. Quote, if you're looking for a way to bridge differences and find some unity and healing, Catholic social teaching offers a path forward that challenges both right and left and calls us to work together for the common good, said John Carr, a former advisor to the U.S. bishops who teaches at Georgetown University and who endorsed Mr. Biden last fall. He continues on to say, in a society with very few strong moral paradigms left, Catholic social thought is a well-organized tradition that has something for both left and right. Catholicism, despite or because of our por- uh, of our polarized age, is becoming something like an organizing common language for a great deal of American public life. And there's many more articles from which I could read, and uh, you know I don't want to make this podcast any longer than it already is. But uh, here's another article from the New York Times, uh, which I'm not going to read from a lot, but there was something interesting that I found uh, that just really jumped off the page. The the very beginning uh, of this article is New York Times and Biden's Catholic faith and ascendant liberal Christianity. So this really looks at the differences between um, President Trump and the conservative side of Christianity, and then President Biden, who this uh, author, Elizabeth uh, Diaz, says is a more liberal Christianity, which is a fascinating uh, article, and you can go read it on your own. Again, if you go to uh, truthreel.transistor.fm, again, that's truthreel.transistor.fm, and that's where you can find all of our episodes. And on each episode, you'll find notes. And on, under those notes, you'll be able to um, go see the videos uh, or audio or read any of the articles that I've referenced in today's show. But this is how she begins this article. Hours before President Biden took the oath of office, he entered the front pew of the Cathedral of St. Matthew the Apostle, the seat of Catholic Washington and beheld the mosaics behind the altar. Since when do we refer to Washington as Catholic Washington? As if that was the main descriptor of the capital of our nation. That to me is curious and interesting, that that's the language we're now using. And later on in the article, uh, she describes this grassroots progressive Christian movement as being center stage in Mr. Biden's Washington. So not only is this a, a Catholic Washington, it's Mr. Biden's Washington. And again, it's it's there's there's such a dichotomy to uh, to to this president's Catholic religion to how JFK described what his Catholicism meant in the context of him occupying the White House. So now, on this end of our modern age, in the 21st century, now we're looking at now these writers and thinkers and influential leaders in in our time are are looking at catholicism as not something that can somehow threaten liberty because of its imposition on american life 
through the president or through Congress or through the Supreme Court or any other legislative body in our country. Now it's seen as a positive thing because we need to tackle these issues together. Another article that uh, I have to give mention to, uh, also from Religious News Service, uh, says, with his inauguration, Biden makes his return to, quote, Catholic Washington. All of a sudden, Washington has this moniker on it that is Catholic. It's first Catholic. No, it's first American. Again, of so diametrically opposed to the vision uh, that JFK gave in that speech as he was seeking the presidency. Uh, now, this article is uh, dated January 20 of this year, 2021, and it begins this way. When President Joe Biden took the, office, took the oath of office on Wednesday, January 20, he became only the second Catholic president in U.S. history. In US history. But when he marched off the Capitol grounds later in the day, he re-entered a much larger group, a peculiar hyper-political faith community that makes the nation's capital one of the most active and ardent Catholic centers. That language is, I mean, I, I, there's no words to describe that, but that's, that to me is disturbing. A peculiar, hyper-political faith community. Again, this joining of politics, the power of the state, and now religion coming together. Now, obviously, there has been no official statement from the church or from the White House that somehow... Uh, church and the state have now been joined, but it doesn't need to be made because in action, it's already being stated. The article goes on. Those believers who live in what locals call the district are a complex, multi-layered way, a web of cardinals and other churchmen, politicians, professors, and everyday Catholics who also happen to regularly rub elbows with the most powerful people on the planet. It's a community Biden has known for decades, but one that already looks markedly different from when he left the vice president's official home, number one observatory circle, to return to his home state of Delaware just four years ago. Washington's Catholicism is in part a reflection of the country. And I'll leave it there and you can continue to read on. But this is stark language because where Journalists, the media, politicians were afraid of Trump somehow creating this Christian nationalism in the country. And I can understand those fears because there was a strong evangelical push for him to become president. And the evangelical church made a strong presence during his presidency to enforce certain uh, moral issues in the country. But on the other side, now we have a Catholicism that at one point in this country was questioned and feared for good reason because of the history of Catholicism and which history documents its first candidate for president said that his religion, that Catholicism, had nothing to do with his job as president and would have nothing to do with his job as president. But now it seems like Catholicism is the only way to somehow bring uh, uh, bring these 
uh, uh, polarized groups in America back together again. And while the ideal of healing and while bringing people together and while the vision of unity is a wonderful thing, one that is steeped in Christianity, the question is, at what cost? Do the ends justify the means? Do we violate our principles of state, of, of, of church and state, of the freedom of religion, of our Bill of Rights to bring unity? Because where Catholicism had nothing to do with the presidency and had nothing to do with with the American vision, now all of a sudden with this second president who is Catholic, it does. It is relevant. And those who are uh, both uh, religious and non-religious are saying, well, hey, maybe this is a good thing. That to me shows a stark change a stark uh, pivot point in our history, and we mustn't ignore it. And again, this has nothing to do with um, somehow discriminating against one group because of their religion. Absolutely not. This is about taking what has been our principles that have set our liberty and founded it so that all can be free, and asking, is this now threatening that liberty because of who is behind it? This is beyond the president now. This is beyond even Catholicism. It has to do with the power that the Vatican wields, and that is now wielding in the context of this global reset and this mission of building back better. Well, going back to an old statement uh, that I shared with you from the book, The Keys of This Blood, which was written to show the intentions of the Vatican power in the world. And Malachi Martin made this statement, willing or not, ready or not, we are all involved in an all-out, no-holds-barred, three-way global competition. Most of us are not competitors, however. We are the stakes, for the competition is about who will establish the first one-world system of government that has ever existed in the society of nations. And this is what's happening now. This is what's transpiring now. That book was written in, 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 in the 1990s. And here we are now, seeing this vision being actualized in front of our eyes. So, what do we do with that? And then going now to Pope Francis, who says this, the development of a global community of fraternity based on the practice of social friendship on the part of peoples and nations calls for a better kind of politics, one truly at the service of the common good. And then the WEF, then takes his statements from this new encyclical and applauds them. And then they comment and say, Pope Francis has issued a scathing indictment of neoliberalism. The Pope blames the dogma of neoliberal economics for making us more vulnerable to COVID-19. And he calls for greater multilateral cooperation and a focus on human dignity. 
And you can go back to all the episodes that have to do with the Great Reset so that you can do your own homework. Because we are the stakes. All of us. And each of us has an individual decision of who we are. Who you are, who I am in this new America, in this new global government setting. Do your own digging. And find yourself, if you haven't already. In the midst of all of this, in the search for truth, we must be grounded in the foundation of liberty. Because without that truth... There is no hope. But the hope that we find in this truth has to do with humanity, with you and I as individuals being given the opportunity of redemption. But that redemption doesn't come through government. It doesn't come through religion. It doesn't come through church. It doesn't come through social movements. It doesn't and will not come through this new global governance, through this great reset, through building back better. It only comes through the truth that is given to us through the person of Jesus. Because the biblical worldview isn't about religion, isn't about politics, isn't about power. It's about choice. Your choice and my choice. It's about two different possibilities. One is life. One is death. One is redemption. And the other, a certain deprivation. And the power to choose is left up to you and to me. Because there is no hope in what the world is saying is needed and what can be done through human efficiency. Time and time again, humanity has only oppressed humanity. But the worldview of Jesus offers freedom. Freedom by choice. That is the truth of our existence. So, whatever transpires and whatever unfolds in the next few months, knowing who we are, who you are, who I am, matters. It is the only thing that matters. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to The Truth Reel. If you want to subscribe to our podcast, you can do it where all podcasts are available. Also visit us at our website, truthreel.transistor.fm. Again, that's truthreel.transistor.fm. And if you're interested in donating to the cause of the refugees, please go to liveforone.com. That's liveforthenumberone.com. 
join us as we continue to help our brothers and sisters, especially during this crisis under the COVID-19 pandemic.